Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast brought to you by Twisted Tea and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter and no cousin Shane on this episode. And that's, of course, because it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday, one of the highlights of my week. We're going to uh, kick it with uh, senior editor over at Athlon Sports, Stephen Lassen, in just a minute here. But we had a couple news items around the SEC. Let's get into that real quick and uh, some troubling news. Not heard specifics, and this is a type of situation where, you know, you just kind of hope and pray for the the best, but uh, this actually happened during our Sunday show. We missed it because we were going live, of course, but Liam Cohen, Kentucky offensive coordinator, hospitalized, and um, Mark Stoops talked about it a, a little bit here briefly on Monday. I'll Kick it over to the comments real quick, but uh, you know, keeping things vague, not giving specifics as you, as you would anticipate, given uh, that this is a health situation, and uh, man, really not much more to say other than uh, you know, a young guys kind of don't know exactly the specifics, but uh, really makes you makes you think that uh, you know this could happen to just about anybody. Uh, it's been been a, a challenging a day or so for us, and. Um, we will continue to push forward as always. And uh, I think, um, you know, the prognosis of things look good with the people in our office and that will be back in our office. So um, I'll leave it at that um, on that subject. So again, thoughts out to uh, Liam Cohen and his family. Hopefully he rebounds quickly there for the Kentucky Wildcats and is back on the on the sideline before long. Other injury updates here across the SEC, just real quick, but Rocket Sanders, according to Sam Pittman, is going to miss the BYU game. So this is two games in a row without our star running back there, Rocket Sanders, as we're really needing to get the the running game going in Fayetteville. Potentially a, a big loss. This is a, a game Sam Pittman and company can't afford to lose. The expectation coming into the season that BYU would be an easy win just got a little bit tougher here. Same, just touch on it there, Rocket. Is he for sure out this week, and just yeah. how's he doing overall? Rocket will be out this week, and then we'll we'll figure out, you know, uh, how how fast he can recover. Got to get some swelling off of him, and once we do that, and then we'll see how fast uh, whether we can have him back for LSU. I I just don't know right now. Now it ain't all bad though, because Dwight McLaughlin, our outstanding corner is expected to be back for the BYU game. But, uh, again, situation to monitor is not what you want to see. Silver lining, Rockets not racking up carries, heading into the SEC play where we're really going to need him. So Arkansas is good at running back. But, again, you'd, you'd love to have these star players in these big home matchups, no doubt. And then real quickly here, a couple more injury updates. Mississippi State defensive back Jacoby Albert, Gordon to Zach Arnett out for the season. He was banged up in uh, fall camp, I believe. Florida center, big news for them. Big game with the with the Tennessee Vols. We're going to break it all down with Steven here. Kingsley Uguankin, their outstanding center, back from last season. He's not suited up yet because he's been banged up. He is cleared to return for Tennessee. And Tennessee Cooper Mays, not yet cleared, but he suited up last week for the Vols, did not play, hasn't played all year. 
Uh, getting closer. They expect him to practice. They're not. They're not going to give away what exactly they're going to do with Cooper Mays until uh, <laughs> until about kickoff time. I wouldn't think. And the only other thing here on Monday, I thought. Uh, you know, we love talking about these, the kickoff times for week four. So two weeks out, September 23rd, kickoff TV coverage announced by the league here. Real quick, Auburn at AM, noon Eastern on ESPN. That's going to be a hell of a matchup. Jimbo has to win it. We talked about this. Job could be on the line nationally televised right after college game day. That'll be something to watch. Kentucky at Vanderbilt, noon Eastern on SEC Network. Talk about a must win. Mark Stoops, I think. Got to get this corrected. This is some struggles out the gate. Another cream puff this weekend. You got to be able to beat Vandy after losing to them and stealing arguably their best player, Ray Davis. Ole Miss at Alabama. Only one of them is undefeated right now, and it's the Rebels. 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central, SEC on CBS Game of the Week. It's going to be some fireworks. Get your popcorn ready, says Kiffin. UTSA at Tennessee, 4 Eastern, 3 Central on SEC Network. Under tricky game, UTSA, I think they're borderline top 25 for what that's worth. Arkansas at LSU, 7 Eastern, 6 Central on ESPN nationally televised. That's a hell of a matchup there. Charlotte at Florida, 7 Eastern, ESPN and SEC Network. Plus, UAB at Georgia, 730 PM ESPN two. This is when you know you're at elite. When you're getting the UAB treatment, you're getting national televised ESPN two. That's where the dogs is at. Mississippi State at South Carolina. Big matchup here. Seven thirty Eastern, six thirty Central on the SEC network. And Memphis, Missouri in St. Louis. Seven thirty Eastern on ESPN U. All right, so that's it. That's all with the news items we got. Long conversation with our buddy, Stephen Lassen, Athlon Sports. So let's kick it over to him. All right, it's another Tuesday, which you know what that means. It's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday, senior editor over at Athlon Sports and co-host of the Cover 2 podcast. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh man, it's a it's always a pleasure to be here. I think maybe our Tuesday sessions are turning into therapy sessions at this point because <laughs> of the uh, slow start to the SEC season. And a sort of disclaimer here: we're going to look at this this slate of games, and we're going to go, yeah, you know, nationally it's not very good, but man, there's never a bad Saturday for college football. We're getting into conference play, which is my favorite part of the year. So uh, there's never a bad uh, moment here in the SEC or for college football. Yeah, and obviously, so this is the first weekend where we're going to get not exclusively conference games, but our first conference matchup. So I can't wait for that. Some hugely important games for everyone involved. But before we dive into that, Stephen, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on on last week because, I mean, we were joking off air, but I I genuinely am a little worried that uh, the SEC is just not going to be the SEC that we know and love and just dominate college football. What's your level of, uh, I don't, I don't want to say panic, maybe, but on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 not worried at all, 10, you know, you're concerned I may jump out of a building. Uh, what level of concern do you have that uh, the SEC is, is not going to be the nation's toughest conference this year? I would grade it as a 5. 
right now. Um, <laughs> I, I think, first of all, like I, I think by the end of the year, I think the SEC is still going to be the best conference. I think if you're looking like who's the other contender, like it's obviously the Big Ten. And you could look at Ohio State, Penn State and Michigan like that trio of teams is pretty stout at the top. Flip side of that is Ohio State hasn't looked great through the first two weeks of the season. You know, Michigan hasn't been tested. Penn State beat West Virginia, but I think we'll find out more about them, uh, of course, over the course of the season. But I think it's it's possible here. And let's maybe try to give some like hope that there's a lot of depth in the SEC this year. And I think that's the case. Like we always sort of panic anytime our our teams have a slow start to the season. Trust me, as a uh, Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I'm hitting the panic button after getting blown out by the 49ers <laughs> uh, on Sunday. But no, in, in all seriousness, it is a long season. And I think over the course of the year, it's probably going to even itself out. But the reason why I would say five is that, you know, we've had these non-conference games. Some of the SEC was favored, some they weren't. And, you know, not the greatest of starts to the season. So I think while the the league may not be as top-heavy, and we'll find out about Georgia, of course, as the season goes along, but I think there's still a lot of quality depth in this league. Speaking of being surprised, what was your level of surprise that Alabama, not only that they lost the game against Texas, I think, you know, there was not a, not a consensus, certainly, of people picking Texas, but there were people out there that, that thought Texas had what it took to win that game, but... Maybe not even your your level of surprise that Texas won it, but the the fashion in which they won that game going. It's in Tuscaloosa, dominated the line of scrimmage, and very rarely, if at all, did it feel like that game was in doubt. You asked me a question last week that I had to stop and think about, which was like, where does Alabama have an edge over Texas in just the position ranks? And the fact that I had to take like a few seconds to think if there was an advantage and couldn't really come up with one probably says a lot. And, you know, I go back to like the preseason too. I do all the national position rankings for the magazine. And this was the first year that I can remember we didn't have Alabama at one at any of those. And that means like quarterback, running back, receiver, offensive line, like any of those positions. So in some respects, like there's a lot more questions about this team than we've seen coming into the year. But I think you hit on exactly like when I was watching that game on Saturday night, I there was one point that Alabama had the lead and I was like, I have no idea how they have the lead because Texas looks like the better team. They have outplayed them uh, all night. It's the fashion with which Texas went in there and won that game. Quinn Ewers, uh, the deep passes that look like it's going to knock the moon from the sky, connecting with Xavier <laughs> Worthy, uh, winning the battle with the line of scrimmage. Um, again, Alabama's defensive backs uh, appear to be an issue. I mean, I think I think Texas is pretty good here, and I think that's part of the equation. But I, I think it's not necessarily that Alabama lost. I mean, it was a close game last year in Austin with Bryce Young, with Will Anderson. A year later, Alabama still in kind of a state of transition and Texas went in there and won. Not necessarily surprising. I think it's the aspects and kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to say dominant, but I think it was pretty a pretty convincing win for Texas to go into Tuscaloosa and win the game which, with how it played out. And how does Alabama fix this, Stephen? Or maybe are we overreacting and they don't need to be fixed? Maybe Texas is just that good. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Is it, Are you, you know, I know you picked Alabama to win the West. Or are you... How uncertain of that are you now that uh, two weeks into the season they got 
I don't want to say embarrassed, but just kind of dominated at home. Definitely nervous. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I think to go back to something we we kind of touched on at the start, like who is good in, in the SEC West, I think remains a mystery here. Uh, I do think there probably are more flaws with with Alabama than maybe we anticipated into the season. And this was a, a season where we knew they had a lot of you know transition and a lot of questions. I was looking at uh, ESPN's SP plus rankings and Bill Connolly had this note in his story that, that Alabama is fifth in the rankings. That is, they have not finished that low in the ESPN SP plus since 2008. So while there's a long way to go and, you know, fifth is, there's nothing to be like, you know, kind of like sad over like fifth is still really good, but the standard has been so high that when you see this regression, you know, it, that invites the opportunity for Georgia, for Texas. And then, of course, we'll see what happens with the rest of the SEC West. I think you know, to, to touch on your question about like how do they fix it going forward, I think it starts up front. Like the offensive line has got – if they're going to play bully ball and they're going to get to Atlanta and they're going to win the SEC West, the offensive line and running game has to play better. 4.2 yards per carry this season. That's not what I expected out of this group. The running backs are deep. The offensive line is still a work in progress. You know, I think Jalen Milrow has showed some good things. Obviously, the deep passes have been there through the first two weeks of the season. I think you'd like to see more consistency, especially in the middle of the field and like in that mid-range passing game. Because to me, at times, it kind of felt like the play's breaking down. He can either make it with his legs. He can throw the deep pass. But you got to be able to get into your operation one, two, and three and, and make the reads. Those interceptions, too, I think may have sort of uh, spooked uh, the offense a little bit because he's got to be able to hit those throws and operate through progressions consistently. So I think they've got to get the offensive line fixed. I think if you're an Alabama fan, optimistically, it's the second game of the season. There's a long way to go here. Everybody in the West has questions. This team is still the most talented team in the West. A lot of reasons to be optimistic, but maybe more reasons to be concerned than we thought on a team that had a lot of questions coming into this year. Well, let me ask you about our uh, our new cousins there from Austin, Texas. I mean, th- this has to be it's very young in the season, but this has to be the most impressive win of the of the season. I thought it's kind of comical people are kind of debating that, but does this in your mind and again, I know it's early and Texas has a history of disappointing. So, I don't, I'm not trying to look ahead to the playoff or anything, but does this make them kind of uh, one of the leading contenders in your mind to to advance to the college football playoff for the first time in their program history? 100%. So I, I think, first of all, I think, unfortunately, Mike, the two best wins uh, by a team in the, in the nation this year are probably Florida State over LSU <laughs> and Texas over Alabama. Uh, sorry to bring that up to, to you, Mike. But yeah, I, I think Texas by far, going into Tuscaloosa, when the, with, with how dominant that victory was in, in some respects, I think easily the best or, or, or second best, depending on how you want to view Florida State LSU. I've got them, you know, in my, if I had to, if the season ended today or if we're looking ahead, I think Texas would be in the playoff by, you know, in, in my bowl projections, I had them making the college football playoff. I think the test for here for Texas, though, is, you know, the Big 12 has a lot of like good teams in it, like throw Oklahoma in there, throw Kansas State in there. The, the test for them is to avoid like, two of those like really bad losses in conference play. Like if Texas is back, they might lose one during the regular season, but can you get to the big 12 championship game with a 12 and one mark? 
and avoid kind of those road losses in conference play or, or the, the the second half struggles that seem to bother this team at times under Steve Sarkeesian. Certainly weren't there uh, on Saturday night. But yeah, I think Texas on their way uh, to potentially making the playoff this year. Well, when we say disappointing, Stephen, we can't even go too far without getting to old college station. The damn Aggies. So I finally believed in them. They they tore my heart out once again. I think at this time it's on me. It's not on them for me to keep believing in them. But there were some things to like, you know, in that Miami game. They jumped out to a lead. They had their moments, but the defense just completely collapsed against a, what I think is an average team, particularly on offense. Uh, thoughts on Texas A&M getting embarrassed by Miami last week and uh, in a, another lopsided loss for the SEC. I think, first of all, it was a much more entertaining Texas A&M-Miami game <laughs> to the average fan than last year's uh, uh, slog fest was in College Station. But, no, it, you know, I think Miami is much improved. Uh, just like yeah, quarterback play, Tyler Van Dyke, we saw it on Saturday. He was red hot. Had a great game against Texas A&M's defense. Like he was hurt a lot last year. Offensive line, Mario Cristobal. He loves like big dudes in the in the offensive line that are really talented. Brought in Javion Cohen from Alabama, and that offensive line is much improved. So I'm not surprised. Like Miami played well. I am surprised that with the fashion which kind of that game played out, the way that A&M started so hot, it looked like they were taking control of the game. Miami punched back, and not only did they punch back, they punched back harder uh, and ended up winning the game. So I think it's, I think if you're an A&M fan, what's frustrating is it feels like the offense is in a way better position than it was last year. But now you're left this with you know kind of questions about the defense and and where you go from here. So I, I think Mike kind of like you, I went into that game with a lot of optimism for A&M that last year was last year. They've kind of turned the corner. I'm kind of wondering um, as we go forward and and also trying to keep this in the context of it is a non-conference loss. So if you're Jimbo and, and you're Texas A&M, you can still rally here and still play for the uh, the SEC championship. Although if the defense is going to play like that, I think it's going to be tough to, to even have a chance to get to Atlanta. Which is interesting all around, Stephen. Something I really wanted to ask you now that we've seen LSU, A&M, and Alabama all lose – and many of us had that as kind of like the top tier in the West. And then the others, you know, that, that other people had were Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Auburn. They're all undefeated. But, of course, none of them have played a conference game, so that's, that's what really matters. But does this give us hope that the West is more wide open than anticipated? And if I'm a fan of one of these undefeated teams that – Hey, maybe the the road, as unlikely as it may have been three weeks ago, to Atlanta is maybe suddenly manageable because A&M, Alabama, and LSU, all of them may not be as good as we thought in the preseason. What's your thoughts on that? I think so. Like, I I think if I'm um, Ole Miss or Mississippi State, Arkansas, Auburn, I I still feel my odds are – not necessarily slim, but they're still kind of in that second half of the conference. But it feels like the door is more like wide open than it has been in the last couple of years. Um, you know, if you're Ole Miss, I think you look at the schedule and you see, hey, we've got, uh, you know, LSU and we've got Texas A&M coming to Oxford. 
you still have to play Georgia and crossover play. Um, and of course you have to go to Tuscaloosa. So there, there are some like stumbling blocks on the schedule, but I, I think what's interesting here is with conference play starting, we're going to get a better idea of some of these teams. Like we're still learning a lot about these teams and now we've entered week three, but I, I go back to, to what I said earlier. I think the door is more open here in the sec West than it has been. If you ask me to predict, I would still probably take Alabama just sort of, um, you know, I think Texas was a, is a good team. I think Alabama's talent will win out. I think some of the questions will get kind of figured out as the season goes along. Um, but I think we'll be curious to see where LSU is this weekend. I like the way Ole Miss went to Tulane and got a victory too. So I think there's definitely a little bit more intrigue here for me than I think what kind of I anticipated in the season, at the beginning of the season. Well, how about this, Stephen? If, if you had to take – one of the three that is that we perceived as the top tier in the West, and I, you've already said Alabama, you still like them, so it's probably not them. So it's, I would have to imagine for you, LSU or A and M. Which one do you, is more likely by the end of the season to be in the pack, so to speak, that down the down the peck, pecking order in the West? And if you have to drop one of those. That means you have to elevate one of the others, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State, or Auburn. Which one of those would you pick if you had to pick one that is most likely to be elevated into that top tier? Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I I like Ole Miss as kind of that team that could elevate itself. I I think with the growth that I've seen from Jackson Dart at quarterback, not to mention Quinshot Judkins was kind of held in check by Tulane, and they still won. And that's... The score probably wasn't uh, indicative of how close that game actually was, but I think you saw some of the things that if you take away Quinshot Judkins, Jackson Dart can step up and and make the throws in in the clutch when he needed to, and he did. And I think defensively, I think even though Tulane was shorthanded, I think there's some reasons to be optimistic through the first two weeks of the season about um, Pete Golding's group. If I had to take away a team, it's probably A&M. You know, I really like Connor Wigman and these receivers – but I've got to see more out of the running game going forward, and I definitely have to see improvement from the defense. I trust Brian Kelly and that staff to figure things out. I'm still not sure, uh, especially after last year and now this year, Jimbo and that defensive coaching staff are going to have to get things fixed. I think Petrino's going to get the offense on track, and to some extent they already are. Um, but I would take A&M as the team that probably slips into that second tier, um, especially considering they have to go to Tennessee, um, and and especially we still have to play Alabama and LSU and Ole Miss this year. Mm-hmm. Now, I also wanted to ask you, Stephen, about uh, we made a big deal about your quarterback rankings leading up to uh, the season, and I know it's early, so you know maybe it's not fair to judge because there's basically everybody's played one cupcake, and and some teams have played two cupcakes, so. Again, maybe not the best uh, time to ask this, but I'm just curious, is there any quarterbacks that you you wish you would have put higher, any that you wish you would have put lower? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I think, well, I think first of all, I'll, I'll go ahead and tease this. I'm going to try and redo the 133 quarterbacks at some point during the season, maybe at the midpoint of the year. So everyone can yell at me about preseason to midseason, and then we'll do it again, maybe in the off season. And then we'll have a, a lot of it's kind of interesting just to see where the quarterbacks have, have moved throughout the year. I think Jackson dart, you know, I had him outside the top 30. He was 31. Connor Wigman was 32. 
I think I'd probably bump them both into the top uh, 25. I, I think Jackson Dart, especially with the way he played Saturday, Connor Wigman, you know, we mentioned the running game, want to see a little bit more balance from A&M, but in a tough spot on the road, I think against an improved Miami team, I think uh, Connor Wigman was the least of, of Texas A&M's concern. So I think both those two, I'd move them up. I, I had Spencer Rattler at 19. Uh, like, I think he's played a lot. I think he's maybe closer to 15 or so to, to at this point of the season. I know it's just two games, but you know, he was under, you know, fire from the opening snap against North Carolina. He played well last week, albeit it was an FCS team. So maybe Rattler needs to be moved up. Uh, I think Milton, uh, Joe Milton and Devin Leary, probably the two I would move down a little bit. I think Leary been a little bit too inconsistent. I think Joe Milton, I think we'll, we'll find out a lot more uh, this Saturday at Florida. But I think you step back for and look at the top. KJ Jefferson, Jaden Daniels, and Will Rogers. I think that's that's aged uh, okay so far. I, I we'll see more about Will Rogers this week because he'll have a chance to to put up some big numbers against LSU. Now we'll get into our uh, previews of the upcoming season right after this, Stephen. But similar question as the quarterback one. There's there's been a ton of turnover around the SEC at the coordinator position, and again, I know it's early. Two weeks in, it's kind of hard to judge these guys and, and grade them too harshly or anything. But two weeks in, any of these new coordinators that uh, you're looking at and saying, man, I bet I bet that head coach, could, if he could, if he could reconsider, he would, or anything uh, to that level given the, the massive turnover we've had? Maybe I'm being prisoner of the moment here, but I was underwhelmed by Alabama's coordinator hires in mm-hmm. the offseason. You know, I think Kevin Steele, I think, you know, while he may be on the same page as Nick Saban, it sort of just felt like it. it I think if I'm Alabama and, and knowing what's kind of transpired on that side of the ball and you're trying to go but get to an elite level to compete with Georgia, are you going back to an old friend? Or are you trying to bring in somebody, uh, somebody new? I probably would have gone outside. Uh, I know why. I understand why Nick Saban hired Kevin Steele for familiarity purposes. Tommy Reese, you know, I think that the jury is still very much out on him. I, you know, I think you've seen some things that you like. I think just, you know, kind of how is this all going to fit together? It's going to be his job to get Jalen Milrose play up to the next level or another quarterback. I, I think also, I think like Kevin Barbet, um, you know, Kirby Moore, I think waiting to see a little bit, you know, no pun intended, more out of out of both of those guys as we get into SEC play. Just some really inconclusive uh, results. And I think we should also just throw in Mike Bobo. Like, I don't necessarily have a ton of concerns there, but I think the first couple weeks of the season left wondering if Georgia is figuring things out. I know they're shorthanded, some in personnel, but when they get into those tight games, we presume at some point this year, quarterback OC are going to be under the spotlight. So we really don't know uh, how that those that combination is going to respond like Monken and Stetson Bennett did last year. Right. Well, some of those guys got a lot to prove this weekend, Stephen. So let's get into it. And uh, I asked you before, uh, you know, what's what's the one game? There's a lot of good ones, but the one that tops your list, and it top, tops my list as well, Stephen, for a variety of reasons. But Tennessee at Florida, SEC East showdown, a ton on the line for both these programs. Uh, what's your initial thoughts, Tennessee going on the road to the Swamp? I think the the interesting thing for me is sort of the narrative. Like if you're Florida, 
knowing what happened in the opener against Utah, where you were em- embarrassed, rightfully, you know, rightfully so, about the way that game played out. And now you have a chance with Tennessee coming there, a, a team that hasn't won since 2003 in Gainesville. You have a chance to kind of change the narrative a little bit here for Billy Napier and staff. So I think it's kind of one of those games where Tennessee is going to get Florida's best shot. And I think Florida should be a little bit desperate here. I know it's only week three. I know it's the SEC opener. But if I'm Florida, knowing what happened in the opener, knowing what's ahead with the schedule, you get Tennessee coming. It's a chance to sort of rewrite the season. The two things that are probably the most interesting to me on Saturday is Florida has got to run the ball better. They've got to have a better effort from the offensive line. And for Tennessee, Joe Milton, we've been, I think he's kind of been a little bit inconsistent this year. He's missed some throws. I think you'd like to see those deep passes come back into Tennessee's offense. Florida gave up the big pass play to start the game against Utah. Can they get that on track? Tough environment. I want to see how Florida's uh, defense handles Milton. And then, of course, the battle at the line of scrimmage. So for me, it's a ton of intrigue. We'll learn a lot about Tennessee, but also I think Florida a chance to sort of reset the season. And is it fair to say, Stephen, that um, if the Tennessee defense we've seen at, at times last season and obviously more importantly this season, if that defense travels down to the swamp, given – now Utah's a very good team. I'm not trying to discredit them. But if Florida has those same kind of issues on the offensive line, could that be paramount to winning this game for Tennessee, controlling that line of scrimmage, not making – forcing Graham Mertz to beat them? Absolutely. So I I think if I'm Tennessee, like I want to get Florida in third and long situations, passing downs like we saw how Utah got after Graham Mertz in the season opener. So I think you have to stop the run. You've got to win on passing downs. Tennessee leads the SEC in tackles for a loss, you know, only giving up about 87 rushing yards per game. Of course, the opponents, you know, Virginia and Austin P. how much do you read into that? But there was real improvement on Tennessee's defense from, um, you know, Tim Banks' first year to last year. And I think you just look at some of the pieces that they have. The athleticism and speed could be a real problem uh, for Florida's front based upon what we've seen this year. So I think if you're Tennessee, stop the run and make Graham Mertz beat you. I know I mentioned this before uh, to go back to the opener. I don't think Graham Mertz was the reason why Florida lost that game, but he has to play a lot better. This is, you know, kind of like Florida. This is a chance for him to sort of, um, you know, take a step forward or sort of prove himself in a tough spot too. And what what uh, likelihood do you do you give Florida's defense for standing firm? Because I think you're right. I mean, Joe Milton foolishly said this off season, but I don't lose in Florida. Like, <laughs> okay, that's probably not the best comments going into the game of the year here, but. Be that as it may, yeah, most a lot of people are going to be putting this on Joe Milton, but to me, it's it's all about the Tennessee running game. It, whoever runs for more rushing yards, that was always critical in those former Spurrier battles. Whoever ran for the most yards typically won this football game, as they do most games, but I think that's going to be key. Do you, how confident are you, if at all, that Florida's defense can stop Tennessee's running game, which has been very effective this season? I would make the argument that Tennessee's backfield might be one of the most underrated in the country. Like I know Jalen Wright and Jabari small, like they're probably not going to be like all Americans at the end of the year. But I mean, like for all the talk about Tennessee's high powered passing game and Joe Milton and receivers, like 
that backfield is really talented and also very capable of, of you know doing things on the ground Saturday night. I think to answer your question, I think it's it's hard to, to kind of figure out where Florida is defensively because you look at their first two opponents like Utah back, you know, third four string quarterback, <laughs> um, very limited offensively, pretty much outside of one big pass play and a, and a quarterback run. It's just it's hard to know. Now, I think if you're a Florida fan, you could counter by saying, you know, we brought in two defensive tackles and some linebackers from the portal to give us more depth. We're hoping to fortify that group that wasn't very good last year. So I guess to to answer your question, I think the answer is probably inconclusive. But I think based upon on paper, Florida seems more equipped to try to counter Tennessee's offensive line and, and, and running game. One thing we should know, too, it looks like Florida's going to have its starting center back for this game. He did not play against Utah. That could be important uh, against Tennessee's front on Saturday night. And I know you're not a hot takes guy, Stephen, but I'm going to try to get you to go there real quick. And this is probably totally unrealistic because I don't, never in my life can I remember Tennessee really just clobbering Florida, at least not in the last 25 so some odd years. But if Tennessee goes on the road, a place they haven't won since, you said, 2003, that's a stat that Vol fans are going to get tired of hearing by the end of the week. But <laughs> if they go down there, let's say they blow their doors off. I don't know what the point, but, you know, 20, 30 points or something. I honestly think that's, that's going to be the beginning of the end of Billy Napier. What, what's your thoughts on that? I would probably agree. Unless uh, unless you. he yeah. beats Georgia, beats Florida State, and you know, you know, not both of them, but you know, pulls a massive upset, and then we'll be like, all right, we got maybe we got confidence in this guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm looking at their schedule here. Uh, they're going to play at Kentucky coming up, at South Carolina. You mentioned Georgia, Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, and Florida State. You know, you, you start to wonder, okay, okay, like where where are the wins? Like at some point you could realistically see a three and nine, four and eight type of season. I, I think for me, one of the things is like, if you're Florida, there's sort of this big kind of picture idea that you're selling like hope and you're selling optimism and you're trying to sell the future of the program. Napier has this vision and infrastructure that he wants to build there. And it all makes sense, but you don't have five years at Florida. Like at some point your hope and optimism has to translate to wins or you start to you start to see that recruiting class, uh, you know, crumble. I mean, Florida State's it could be a playoff team this year. Look at what Miami's doing, and of course, you're battling Georgia and Florida. So, I guess at some point you have to show proof of concept. A win on Saturday night would would do so. And if not, if they get blown out, you start kind of questioning. Okay, where are the wins going to come from? Which also raises greater questions about the direction of the program too. Right. Well, we got another one here, Stephen. It's it's been a little lopsided in recent history, but Bamer Ball has been known to upset people. South Carolina at Georgia, SEC on CBS, their game of the week. Probably regretting that game of the week choice, but <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, thoughts on South Carolina, which has red hot Spencer Hattler, Rattler. To your to your point there, I mean, you can make the case no SEC quarterback's been as good as him. This early in the season, two games in, against uh, the two-time defending national champions, of course, who, in my opinion, have not quite lived up to the billing. They're still number one. I don't think they deserve it. But South Carolina at Georgia, what's your initial thoughts on that one? 
get the hot tub ready for Spencer Rattler because it's going to be <laughs> a uh, it's going to be one of those games where he's going to have to shoulder the workload and probably going to be under fire, unfortunately, from the opening snap. I think if you're South Carolina, like how can you like what's the path to victory here? Like I think the the thing is like let's start offensively. Rattler's just got to have a good game. Like he's got to be on fire, locked in, like last year against uh, Clemson, Tennessee, and Notre Dame. We talked about coordinators. Like Dow Loggins was one of those guys. I I didn't really understand it. He's been fine so far. And I think, and we'll see this Saturday will be another good test for this offense to see. I think the problem for South Carolina is offensively, the running game's been pretty much non-existent so far. Offensive line was a major issue against North Carolina. Georgia is better on, on defense. You, you know, you're going to have to get a lot of quick throws, going to have to make a lot of plays in space. You're going to have to find some ways to scheme some guys open. I think on defense, if you're South Carolina, stop the run. I think make Georgia get into third and longs, try to execute in the passing game. I, I think Carson Beck and these receivers are going to be fine over the course of the season. Lad McConkey, you know, we'll see if he can come back this week or maybe down the road. But I think like you want to put a quarterback making his you know third start into some tough spots, and you want to get some pressure on him. So, like those are some ways I think South Carolina can hang around here. And then the third way is like it's Beamer Ball, it's Beamer Ball magic. It's you're gonna to have to empty the 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 bag of tricks here. If it's a, a fake punt, it's an onside kick. You're probably gonna to have to steal a possession or two to try and hang around here. So, uh, George is a heavy favorite here for a reason. But to me, if I'm South Carolina, like it's got to be on Rattler. It's got to be on the defense, forcing Carson Beck to execute in one of these spots that we haven't had to see him do it against an SEC defense in a high leverage scenario. Is it even possible to beat Georgia being so one dimensional? And I, I mean, I, re- I realize it's basically impossible to beat Georgia anyway. So, I mean, I think I know the answer to that. But what's your thoughts on that? I mean, does South Carolina have to get the running game going or? Can they just ride the the hot hand and and somehow keep it close and and pull a massive upset? I think you have to have some semblance of balance. Like I, I think you have to try and at least keep them honest. Like e- even if this is like a cliche of like you know you have to run the ball. Like you don't have to run the ball like forty five times to try and win. But I do think you have to have some semblance of it. Otherwise, it's just going to be easy to tee off on um, Spencer Rattler. I think about the teams that have given Georgia the most trouble in the last couple of years. And I go back to that, the, the playoff against Ohio state, like why did Ohio state give Georgia trouble was they had CJ Stroud. They had Marvin Harrison jr. They had playmakers like college football is a passing game. And if you can spread the field and your quarterback gets hot and you have the playmakers, you have a chance to, to maybe threaten Georgia, albeit it is going to be a very heavy lift for South Carolina, but I think the takeaway for me in this game is going to be Georgia's a favorite for a reason and rightfully so. But I think if you're South Carolina, like after the opener, like, can you get the offensive line to play up to an SEC level against Georgia? Like what, how does this team look is going to be pretty important as we try to figure out the East, the rest of the way, especially since we'll get Tennessee and Florida later in the day and we can kind of compare maybe where these three teams are. Do you have any concern at all about uh, Carson Beck after two weeks, or do you think it's kind of overblown the criticisms of him? And I mean, they've been dominant wins, but uh, what's your thoughts? Again, albeit early, uh, two weeks after Carson Beck is their starting quarterback. Not concerned yet. Um, I think to I, I want to see Georgia at full strength. 
that means running backs, um, Ladd McConkey, getting him back at receiver, getting the full arsenal of weapons out there too. Also, I, I think we saw Georgia kind of mess around last year in some of these non-conference games before the season really got going in SEC play. I think the the interesting thing is we may not know how good Georgia is until the SEC championship game. And even then, if Alabama or LSU or Ole Miss is sitting there at nine and three or ten and two, they they may not play a, a good opponent really until the the college football playoff. So I think if you're Georgia, like this is kind of like the first opportunity. Like it seems like they've been stacking some things together. Now you get an SEC opponent, you're heavily favored. But let's, let's let's see how he goes out and executes. So I'm not I'm not worried yet about Georgia. I'd like to see them start faster offensively. Um, but I think eventually just too many good pieces offensively with the receivers and Brock Bowers and Carson Beck, I think, has shown enough to where he can get better over the course of the season. What do you think is the best recipe for upsetting Georgia? Is it a high-scoring game where maybe – you know, it's a shootout, and, and maybe Carson Beck makes a mistake, or or one of the you know they don't have the running game, or what have you, or or do you think it is a slow, methodical Billy Napier type ball game where you limit their possessions? Maybe it's a you hold them to field goals, and I don't know, it's a field goal battle, it's a soccer game, so to so to speak. What what do you think is the is the recipe? Because I there's not anyone they're playing in the regular season that has their talent, so it's. It it's an interesting point. It yeah, if they were playing Ohio State from last year, that that'd be one thing. But they're not. They're playing a a schedule that is no one's got the roster they have. I think if you're South Carolina, you got to hope Georgia State shows up instead of, of, of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I I, uh, I don't mean to, to to be negative towards uh, South Carolina's chances here, but I I think it you know Georgia is a big favorite for for a reason. I think to to answer your question, like I. I would think it's probably like if you want to beat Georgia, I think you have to have the combination of like good skill talent and a good quarterback. Like I think that's the way to threaten this team. Like it, you know, it's a like we talked about it. It's a passing game in college football. The rules benefit high-powered offenses. So I would want to use some tempo. You know, get the defense uncomfortable with that. We saw Ohio State. We saw Bryce Young in the SEC championship game. So I, I would prefer like a setup where I had Caleb Williams or I had Jordan Travis and I had the receivers of USC and Florida state. The counter to that is what Missouri did last year in, in early in the season. Uh, they kind of made it ugly and they forced Georgia to, to play a four quarter game. So there have been both ways, but I think if you ask me to pick a, a style and a team, it would be like, give me a difference maker, a quarterback, give me some weapons and I want to spread the field and throw it and try to use those to my advantage. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little break from the show to let you know we're presented by MyBookie. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today, and don't forget to use that promo code, that SEC. that's T-H-A-T-S-E-C, over at MyBookie, and they're willing to give you an instant 50% initial deposit bonus up, up to 1000 bucks today, you sign up for a new account at mybookie.ag today. This is the number one way to help this podcast stay independent. Please, please help support the podcast. Take advantage of this offer. And you can just throw 50 bucks in there, 100 bucks, whatever you got. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Sign up, new account, using promo code THATSEC. There's a link in the show notes. Click that link, 
sign up, use that promo code, that SEC. We would really, really appreciate it. And just fade our picks, and <laughs> you'll be looking pretty every each and every Saturday. We're also brought to you by Game Time Sidekicks. We love our Game Time Sidekicks. Head on over to GameTimeSidekicks.com. Put in that promo code SEC for 20% off your entire order. This officially licensed NCAA stainless steel where you'll love it. Cups, sippy cups, tumblers, dog bowls. They got it all over at Game Time Sidekicks. Every college program represented. And, of course, each and every member of the SEC. So head on over to Game Time Sidekicks, promo code SEC, for 20% off your entire order. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now we got another big time SEC matchup, Stephen, out west. LSU at Mississippi State. SEC Nation is going to be down there. This is an opportunity for Zach Arnett to get a statement win early in his Mississippi State debut as head coach and Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers they got something to prove after you know that one meaningful matchup they've had they got embarrassed initial thoughts on LSU going on the road very difficult to play to Starkville to to face Mississippi State yeah I, I think one thing that stands out to me right away is if I'm Mississippi State that game against Arizona actually came at a good time because it, it like Jaden Delora, a quarterback for Arizona, just creates so many problems with his mobility, tends to make some untimely interceptions at times. But that style of quarterback and offense is it can get uh, you know Mississippi State ready for the challenge of playing Jaden Daniels and these receivers. So essentially, if you're Mississippi State, you're playing a better quarterback and you're playing better receivers than you did last week so i'll be interested to see what mississippi state does from a defensive perspective because we came into the season wondering about their secondary and how they would hold up they forced the turnovers last week they gave up some yards so this will be a good gauge of of where they are i think uh you know jet johnson and nathaniel watson might be two of the sec's most underrated players like 
we probably didn't give them enough credit in the preseason for just how uh, good they are in the front seven of LSU uh, for, for Mississippi State. So I, I think for me, like like you said, like it's it's a huge chance for Zach Arnett and Mississippi State here. They are right there on the edge of the top 25. You could argue maybe they should even be ranked. If you're LSU, the counter is we had a bad game against Florida State in the second half but we're still very much going to be a factor in the SEC West. So I think it's a chance, much like Florida, for LSU to sort of rewrite the preseason narrative about this, or the post-week one narrative about this team. I don't know if you saw this, Stephen, but I tweeted this out earlier today. Mississippi State led the nation in pass attempts every year under Mike Leach. So three seasons. Right now, again, two games in, so small sample size, but Mississippi State ranks 119th in the nation in pass attempts with, uh, I don't know what the number is, I think it's like 36 pass attempts or something crazy like that. Uh, Thoughts on just the, I mean, we knew it was going to be different, but I didn't know it was going to be this radically different. What's your early thoughts? Because I I get a lot of Mississippi State fans saying, what in the hell are we doing here? We got the most experienced passer in the SEC, and we're not letting him throw the ball. And essentially, when we do let him throw the ball, it's like dink and dunk all over the the, the field. What's your thoughts early uh, on Mississippi State's offense under Kevin Barbe? I, I also, I think the dink and dunk was sort of like what they did not want to do. Like the right. purpose was <laughs> like for Will Rogers to stretch the field more. Um, you know, it's also weird to click on rushing and see Woody Marks atop the <laughs> SEC and rushing. Like, what is happening here? I mean, like, you know, that's like two games this season is like a season for some uh, running backs on, under uh, Mike Leach's offense in, in previous years. You know, maybe maybe a theory here. Is, is, is Mississippi State trying to just lull LSU to sleep here? I mean, you know, I think if, if there's a game where, you, you know, you need to – open up the offense. Isn't it Saturday? Because LSU had such a hard time stopping Florida State's passing game. Like this game will give me a much better idea of where they are offensively. You know, watching Kevin Barbe's offenses at App State, I thought there was some creativity. I thought he did a nice job of blending the run in the pass. I thought we would see more pass uh so far, but I think maybe Saturday's a good time to do so given LSU's struggles in the secondary which we really don't know how much they've improved from game one to game three because of uh, you, you know the game last week was just so out of hand, it's hard to read anything into it. Mm-hmm. And if LSU finds a way to lose this game, Stephen, I mean... I'm firing up the LSU message board <laughs> right away. <laughs> I mean, how much... I You know, hot seat, that's crazy talk, but how much, uh, you know, concern, questioning will there be of Brian Kelly and, and how... You know, I think it's fair to say he would he's would he's going to face tough questions on on whether he knows what he's doing in the SEC and mismanaging a roster that I think is uh, you know one of the best in the country. Absolutely. So I think when you look at their schedule coming up, you know, after Mississippi State, it's Arkansas, at Ole Miss, at Missouri, Auburn, and then of course the second half of the schedule features Alabama, and Texas A and M, and Florida. So. There's a lot of landmines on that schedule, uh, potentially, if they stumble on Saturday and we see some of the same errors that we saw uh, in, in game one. You mentioned the hot seat talk. I mean, we 
Brian, there was some some fans of LSU wanted to put him on the hot seat after <laughs> last year's uh, loss to Florida State in New Orleans, and, and of course they came back to to win the SEC West, which is which is why I, I think LSU is going to get this figured out. I mean, if you look at Brian Kelly's career, he's won everywhere he's been. Also, you go back to the year at Notre Dame where they finished four and eight. There were some questions about his tenure. He just reinvented everything in his program, and they went on to make the college football playoff after that. So. I think LSU is going to be fine, but I do think, you know, our broader question coming into this, um, this show was kind of like, where is the SEC West? If LSU loses on Saturday, like all of a sudden, maybe they are slipping into that second tier and you start to wonder, um, you know, the offensive line, has it developed? Like we thought the secondary is still an issue. Um, you know, Logan Diggs, um, you know, it looked pretty good on Saturday, but how does that translate? Like, I want to see game one to game three growth by LSU and also want to see um, some of those preseason questions that we had start to get answered during the course of the year. Now, we got a huge game in Columbia, Stephen, and I have coined these Missouri fans, Stephen, as the most upset 2-0 fans in the SEC. They're, they're mad as hell. They're ready to fire drink. I mean, after be, I I realize it's not been great, but two and zero is two and zero. How much is on the line for Missouri to have? You know, a lot of people, myself included, thought this would be a you know a breakout year for drinking company. But uh, this is the game we all had circled. You, you, they had to win this one. They don't have to win it, but they they had to have it if they're going to win eight nine games. Let's let's call it what it is. Uh, thoughts on Kansas State at Missouri. Yeah, I, I think first of all, you mentioned the schedule and the way it sets up. Like with Memphis, even though Memphis is a is one of the better teams in the American, and you get Vanderbilt, and then you get LSU coming to your place. So realistically, like if you win this game, Missouri should be undefeated going into that showdown against LSU. And our broader questions about where is LSU, like the door could be opening a little bit bit more here um, for Missouri. I think the key to Saturday is going to be what happens up front on the offensive line. Kansas State's defensive front has had eight sacks in two games. That's the strength of that defense. They came into the year with a lot of questions in the secondary. They lost five, six defensive backs that played last year. They haven't played the toughest of opponents to start the season. They played Troy last week, who's probably a top 50 to 60 type team. They handled them pretty well. But given that Missouri had some issues on the line of scrimmage against MTSU on Saturday, that's where I would be watching. And I think very broadly, like we're still in the space of teams playing non-conference games. Do they have to show everything? And especially when you get to SEC play. I mean, there was you know chatter last season about Missouri's defense with Blake Baker and how they may have held back some until they played Georgia. Like, are we seeing the same thing here? I think if you're Missouri, you would feel a lot better if you put your foot down and just dominated MTSU, which is what I was hoping to see uh, going into this matchup to give us a little bit better idea of where they are. But I think that line of scrimmage, critical for Missouri to win there on Saturday to have a chance to beat Kansas State. And I've even seen some Mizzou fans, Stephen, say, I mean, Drink's job, not that they're going to sit, they're going to fire him after the game if they lose it, but well, basically they're you know the the idea is if he can't beat this team at home, you know how in the hell is he ever going to get us up the SEC ladder with uh, seemingly uh, you know I'm sure if you look at the recruiting rankings, Missouri's probably got a better roster than Kansas State. That is, I'm not sitting here saying they're 
you know, guaranteed a better team. But, uh, you know, maybe similar question I asked you about Billy Napier in, in Tennessee. Could could this be the the beginning of the end? Because there's, like I said, there's they're two and zero, and maybe I'm, it's just the vocal minority. But there's people that are already out on drink, and I just don't know if he can win them over if he can't win this game. Is that fair? I think that's fair. But like I, I think Kansas State, you know, they're favored in this game. K State is. They're the defending Big 12 champion. Um, I've got them in the top 25. Like this is a really good team coming to Columbia. Uh, but I think to, to in a very broad sense, like our conversation about Florida applies here for Missouri too. At some point, you've got to break through with a winning record in SEC play. At some point, you have to get beyond six, seven wins. Like it is, it is a challenging job in the SEC. But you look at the way that Missouri is recruiting now. And, you know, how I think you can use some of the transfer portal to fill in some of these spots. You know, you have to break through at some point. Proof of concept, hope, optimism. Like if these type of games, like where you have Kansas State coming to your place, even though K-State is favored, this is a winnable game uh, from Missouri. So I, I, I think if, if, you, if you're on the fence about Drinkowitz here and they lose on Saturday, there's a chance that he could build some goodwill down the stretch with some wins. But I also think, like like I said, we're in that proof and proof of concept and optimism stage where it could start to wane over the next couple of weeks if they lose this game. And do you have any thoughts on uh, Brady Cook, Sam Horn? Is it time, do you think, to turn it over to Sam Horn? Or um, I, because it seems like, I mean, I've seen this before <laughs> when a coach seems to lock himself with a quarterback, fans. They turn on the quarterback first, and then they start to turn on the head coach. What, what's your thoughts on this? This is a unique position. Now, this all goes away. If Brady Cook comes out here, has a great game, and beats Kansas State, all these Brady Cook doubters, they're going to say, I believed in him from day one. But what's your thoughts on it? Let me ask you kind of a hypothetical on this. Do we know like what the ceiling is for Brady Cook at this point? Like I kind of feel like we do. I don't. Right. Do you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think he is um, a great athlete, but an average passer, and seemingly a, as they say, a great guy. But you know what? <laughs> He's probably a hell of a locker room guy. You know what I mean? But is he going to outduel? I, I realize Joe Milton has not been on fire, but he may catch fire. Is he going to outduel Joe Milton? Is he going to outduel Carson Beck? Is he is is can he carry you to a win over some of the teams that a quarterback is going to have to at a place like Missouri? I think the answer is firmly no. I would agree with you. Like I, I think we know what type of quarterback that he is, and I think getting him to one hundred percent from the shoulder injury, letting him play in the new offensive scheme, I think it, it, you know this this might be our best test of of kind of his 2023 uh season i think at some point like if the offense is just kind of stagnant i think you have to give sam horn a chance like i know he played in the opener against south dakota but you know see if he can't raise the upside of the offense in a you know kind of leverage spot against kansas state especially on saturday if the offense gets bogged down i mean you kind of have to know what he can do in one of these spots so i i think the the pressure is definitely on, you know, Brady Cook, uh, especially considering what's at, at stake for Missouri from a program perspective going forward if they lose this game. Mm-hmm. 
All right, how about uh, BYU at Arkansas, Stephen? Intriguing game. BYU always seemingly playing spoiler <laughs> around the country. Uh, I, I believe they're 2-0, and they, but I don't think they've played anybody with a pulse. And Arkansas, meanwhile, has not quite lived up to the hype. I mean, they looked pretty good against Western Carolina, but what are we supposed to take away from that? Whereas Kent State, it was it was a lot of ugly defense, defense swarming the ball, forcing turnovers. I like to see that, but they they're, they may have to do some of the same to beat BYU. What's your thoughts on this matchup? I think on coordinators that have looked good so far through two games, I think Travis Williams of Arkansas has done a really nice job. A lot of new faces, a lot of transfers, some freshmen coming in. And you know, change in scheme. Like they, they look good. I, I know that the, the opponents and the offenses haven't been the greatest test, but I think if you're Arkansas, you wanted to see dominance on that side of the ball, and I think for the most part they have. Haven't had total dominance though, because like you said, uh, you know, the offensive performance against Kent State was a little shaky. Kind of a scouting report on BYU. Um, you know, this is a team that has some transition at key spots. They have a new quarterback, Keaton Slovis. He's been at Pitt. He's been at USC. He's now at BYU. I think he fits their offense well, kind of a you know, a drop back passer, kind of a gunslinger in this type of offense. Like BYU's had some injuries at receiver. They've got off to a slow start against Sam Houston in the season opener. They played better last week against Southern Utah. I think we're gonna find out a lot more about where they are. Um, freshman, true freshman could start at running back, pretty good receivers. They expect to get some guys back, I think they're offensive line in a state of transition, but also some P5 uh, transfers came in this offseason. Like traditionally, BYU is pretty good on the offensive line, and I think they're going to end up being solid, but we'll find out. I think this will be a good test for for both BYU and for Arkansas. New defense, uh, Jay Hill, who, who was a FCS head coach, took over the defense. Last year, BYU struggled a ton against the run. They had a lot of injuries. The new scheme, kind of think Utah-like, uh, you know, he's kind of off of that kind of similar tree. Good start to the season for them, but they haven't really been tested. So it's hard to know like how good they are and how some of the new pieces fit in. But I like this matchup for Arkansas. I mean, we saw this game last year out in Provo. Like I think the the biggest concern for me is just can at some point can Arkansas get the running game going, better play along the offensive line. The number one thing here though is the best player in the field is KJ Jefferson. And I think that's all that matters on Saturday. Do you have any level of concern, though, with Arkansas's offensive line that has struggled is probably a, a fair word, and, and they're mixing guys in and out of the lineup, and again, they're playing overmatched opponents, yet they're not blowing them off the ball despite having an elite quarterback and, and having a – I know Rocket Sanders not going to play. He's been banged up, but they they go four deep at running back, so they should have plenty of running backs. You know, I, I kind of have blind faith in Sam Pittman to get the offensive line going, but I can only say that so many times before maybe I shouldn't have that because they've, they've not looked very impressive. Uh, any concern uh, in that regard? Yeah, I think so. I, I think there is some concern. Now, I, I think if you're an Arkansas fan looking for optimism here, I think number one is Sam Pittman is on the, he's the head coach. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in college football. I think he'll figure things out during the course of the season. They've had some guys injured, and of course, with a new starting lineup, you're trying to mix and match. Like you're trying to find the right mix. A, a good time to do that is when you're playing Western Carolina and Kent State. You don't want to be doing that when you're playing Texas A&M and Ole Miss. So, 
I think we'll start to find out more on Saturday. And, and I hate to like, I hate to keep saying that, but I think like we're, these are some of the first big tests for some of these teams. Like for Arkansas, BYU is a significantly tougher challenge than than the first two opponents. You know, BYU is probably a top 50 to 55 type team this year moving to the Big 12. So I think concerned because I would like to see them push around Kent State, given that UCF did that the previous week. But my concern level sort of drops when they have Sam Pittman trying to figure this out during the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, we're fans, so we just overreact to everything. I, I'm worse than anybody, so I can't talk. It's why I have this ridiculous mustache. But, you know, there was going to be growing pains with two new coordinators, and we have seen that. So could it be that just, you know, maybe by by SEC play where, you know, all these players – well, I mean, they had transfers as well, but the non-transfers, I mean, they all they knew was the Kendall Browse system. Now they're in a very different system. Uh, it, it, you know, what's the, the likelihood that once they become more familiar? Because I think if Arkansas's offense takes off, which I thought it would take off immediately, but it, but it hasn't, to be fair. But if the defense can keep doing what they're doing and the offense takes off, I mean, Arkansas could be a real spoiler out of the West, don't you think? I do, I mean, especially when you have the best quarterback in the conference in, in KJ Jefferson. I, I think, you know, having Jefferson can make up for a lot of issues in some other areas. I think this Saturday, though, is is like it's super important for Arkansas to sort of put all the pieces in place and put everything together. When you look at their schedule, you know, LSU, AM, Ole Miss, and Alabama. Like that is a brutal four-game stretch. Now the rest of the season gets a little bit easier, but like it's this is a chance, the last chance to kind of get in game situations to figure things out before the meat of your schedule. Because if they if if they figure things out, and we talked about how some of these teams have looked, A and M's vulnerable. You know, I know there's road trips to to Oxford and and to LSU and Alabama, but all these teams are vulnerable. And we've seen KJ Jefferson go to Alabama and put up big numbers before. So uh, there's a lot of intrigue for me to see where Arkansas is this week. Now, those are kind of the big games out of the SEC. There's a bunch of other ones, Stephen, that uh, they shouldn't really be much of a contest, but uh, I'm just curious which if you know, which one maybe is next on your list that would maybe stand out a little. I think the, the one that stands out the most is probably Vanderbilt at UNLV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to like mention this every every week, but it's so important for Vanderbilt to win the ones that you're favored to do so and that you should win. Like they should beat UNLV. They're a slight favorite. I think what worries me if I'm Vanderbilt though is UNLV is better than Hawaii. And it's a little hard to read to to where UNLV is because they have a new coach, old SEC friend Barry Odom is now the head coach <laughs> there. They played Bryant in the season opener and they played Michigan last week. So they they really ha- it's hard to kind of gauge where they are, but I th- just from a scouting perspective, Doug Brumfield, their starting quarterback, was one of the better ones in the preseason in the Mountain West. They have good skill, talent, experience on the offensive line. I think their defense, while it was very bad last year, I think Barry Odom is probably going to make an impact there. But it's it's just a it's a must win game for Vanderbilt. They're a slight favorite. They've got to have this one if they want to have any shot at going to a bowl game this year. Any surprise that uh, AJ Swan has kind of struggled so mightily? Because I thought, you know, I, and he still may be, but you know, I thought he was going to be one of the best players on the team and, and someone to kind of build around. And it's kind of, 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not quite seeing it from him. I think the turnovers are probably a little surprising for me. Like, I guess it feels like the offense, a lot of Vanderbilt's offense is on his shoulders considering some of the other like offensive line. The, the running games come on a little bit the last couple of weeks, but I do think that if, if Vanderbilt's going to get to a bowl game, it's going to have to be on his arm. It's going to have to be on the receiver. So I think there's another level that he can get to in terms of play, and I would like to see him get there. And I, I think we haven't seen that yet this season, um, but maybe – this Saturday against UNLV's defense would be a good time to start doing it because they've got to have this one. Mm-hmm. Well, a similar theme on that note, uh, Stephen. I know Sanford at Auburn. That's not going to be up on anybody's list unless you're a diehard Auburn fan. But let me ask you about them going on, going to Cal late night, getting that win, and just how big you think that was for Hugh Freeze and company to, again, it was – it was one where if you're not a big Auburn fan, you probably never want to watch that game. I mean, it was ugly, but no one cares. No one cares how ugly it was. They All they care about, did you get the win or not? And at the end of the season, no one will remember that. They're just going to look at your record. And week two, I thought that was a big-time win for that program to to keep the momentum that they have going heading into conference play. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on Auburn after two weeks? Absolutely. Yeah. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with winning ugly, especially if you're Auburn um, it's in a team that's kind of in transition at this point in the season, you're, you're still trying to figure things out for, to go on the road and, and beat, I think a Cal team that's going to be middle of the pack in the, in a very good pack 12 this year, um, I think is a good sign in, in a sign, like in a game where like if you watch that game at times and you look at the stat sheet, you have no idea how <laughs> Auburn won that game because they were pretty fortunate uh, considering some of the missed opportunities that Cal had. But, you know, defensively holding Cal to 113 rushing yards, like Eugene Asante had a huge game on Saturday night. Like it felt like every time there was a defensive play, he was making it. You know, this game, I think, gives all this game against Samford gives Auburn a chance to work on some things offensively. Like they need to figure out the quarterback situation. The passing game's got to get on track. You know, they're one of the lowest rated passing offenses in the SEC. They get Texas A&M, Georgia, and LSU coming up. So I think this is kind of like it's the last opportunity to work on these things before hitting uh, three really difficult opponents in SEC play. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's another game that you kind of will have your eye on in the SEC this weekend? I think Georgia Tech at Ole Miss, um, you know, I like the the direction that I've seen out of Ole Miss through the first two weeks of the season. Um, you know, Jackson Dart, we mentioned the way that he played at Tulane. You know, this Georgia Tech team, a lot of old SEC friends on it. Haynes King is the starting quarterback. <laughs> he leads the ACC in passing yards. Uh, you know, Chase Lane, Christian Leary, uh, old SEC friends from at receiver too. They look much improved. Uh, Brent Key is their head coach. You may remember him. He was on Alabama staff some years ago. He took over last season. And they have been a, a much, much different team uh, since then. Uh, they played a lot better. They nearly made a bowl game uh, last year. They have played two games so far. They played Louisville in the season opener. They gave up a ton of yards and, and points to Louisville. They bounced back last week by beating an FCS opponent. Uh, I think one area to watch for Ole Miss will be third downs. You know, one of 13 on third downs against Tulane. They averaged about eight yards needed on third down. So I think this is a game where when you look at what Georgia Tech has done defensively, there should be some opportunities for Jackson Dart to keep building on his success, but also they should be able to get that running game uh, going again this week. 
Yeah, that was the big one I was going to mention, Stephen. They've got to get that going before SEC play because I don't think it's a Judkins problem, even though his his numbers have. If you just look at it, they're they're lacking. But I think it's more about the offensive line because he's still making guys miss, making plays back here. But it's pretty bad that he's having to do it at the line of scrimmage or even in the backfield. Yet, uh, you know, he's because he's such an incredible player. He's been getting it done, but they they have got to get that figured out. I think. Oh no, no question about it. Especially with Alabama being their next game. Like when you we talked about if the, if the SEC West is is truly more wide open than we think it is. If you're Ole Miss, like you're getting Alabama at a good time. Like Alabama is still working through some things. So if you can fix some of these offensive line um, questions and get Judkins back on track, you know Jackson Dart's played really well through the first two weeks. Um, you know, Harris, all he does is catch touchdowns for him too. Like there's a lot to like about um, Ole Miss uh, and what they've done offensively, except just to get that missing piece of the offensive line and get the running game back on track. Now, how about uh, Akron at Kentucky, Stephen? Kentucky struggled mightily last week. I mean, that's a game where if there was not, you know, if there was five or six SEC games on, that would have been an iPad game for sure. But it was the only one on, so it was on the big screen. And my God, did they... They looked shaky. They they looked very shaky. That was a four-quarter battle legitimately. Now, they they took care of business in the fourth like they should have done the entire game. So, again, they're, they're sleepwalking, too. Thankfully for them, they've got the schedule where they can kind of afford to sleepwalk. But uh, what's your thoughts on Kentucky heading into this matchup, and uh, will Akron give them any kind of contest, do you think? I think if you're a Kentucky fan, I think in order to, like, gauge where Akron is like on the season opponents they're worse than Ball State I think Um, you know uh, know, uh, some old SEC friends here though Uh, Joe Moorhead is their head coach Lorenzo Lingard of course uh, the running back from from Florida he's he's uh, he's on the Akron roster also we'll see if Akron brings their turnover prop here Uh, this was this is apparently brand new for this year but they have a turnover tire (laughs) <laughs> uh, which I've never seen before. So, so the Zips uh, bringing some intrigue potentially to uh, to Lexington. I I think just in terms of Kentucky, like I want to see a fast start on offense, you know, and, and certainly hope everything's okay with Liam Cohen uh, after the medical incident this weekend. So, um, you know, I think Kentucky, you want to see a faster start offensively. You want to see a complete game. You have SEC play coming up with Vanderbilt uh, starting next week. So I think can you put everything together for a complete performance before you hit conference play? Like that's the question for me. If Akron gives them a game on Saturday, I'll be a little bit worried. I'm not worried yet because I kind of feel like Kentucky is just going through the motions to get through some of these games and we may see them take it up a notch when it really matters. Mm-hmm. How about uh, Louisiana Monroe at Texas A&M, Stephen? Texas A&M, in a bad way, needs a, a nice bounce-back performance here. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of old SEC friends, Terry Bowden on the sidelines for uh, Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> so a uh, little bit of scouting on uh, Louisiana Monroe. They beat Army in week one. They beat Lamar last week. They've scored four offensive touchdowns through two games, though. So they, they were pretty fortunate to to beat Army uh, in week one. That This should be a get-right game if you're Texas A&M. Like, mm-hmm. you should be able to sort of do what you need to do. Um, I think you'd like to see defensive dominance after last week. And then offensively, you know, Connor Wigman should be able to put up big numbers. But also, I think offensive line 
running game. We'd like to see a little bit more consistency there. This is the opponent to work on. A&M, a heavy favorite, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Now, Alabama at South Florida, I think the only intrigue is why Alabama's playing at South Florida. But maybe Saban wanted to do stop over at his new $17 million retirement home. But uh, thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I think the I mean I hate to go to old SEC friends, but Alex Golish, uh the former Tennessee <laughs> yeah. offensive coordinator, is uh now the head coach at uh, South Florida. They lost to Western Kentucky in week one. They beat Florida AM last week. I've got them rated around 116 overall nationally. So in, in terms of just the on-field uh product, Alabama is favored heavily, rightfully so. I will be interested just to see how much of that Tennessee offense can translate to South Florida because we just saw Alabama's defensive back struggle. Can Alex Golish in that USF passing game maybe hit a few plays much like they did last year uh, when he was at Tennessee. So a little bit of intrigue there, but much like A&M, like this is a get right game for Alabama. Like they based upon the questions for South Florida and the way they've played defensively through the first two weeks of the season, they should be able to do what they need to do. And I, I think it's important to for Jalen Milrow to build some confidence here, especially with um, with Ole Miss coming up next week, to, to get things right before conference play gets going. Mm-hmm. Now, on this show, Stephen, we're counting Texas and Oklahoma as SEC already. Wyoming is playing Texas this week. I, I believe Wyoming's already secured a big win, beat Texas Tech early in the season. Uh, what's a, you know any danger whatsoever that Texas – we're back, and then they weren't back. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going there, but uh, you know, maybe a letdown a little bit after after that huge win. What's your thoughts? I, I would worry if this game was in Laramie because Wyoming tends to give Power Five teams like trouble yeah. in, in Laramie. It's it's a difficult place to go and play. Like you mentioned, they beat Texas Tech in Week One of the season. They are very limited offensively, though. Like they are very much built to run the ball and play good defense. So I think if you're Texas, like maybe you're a little sleepy early on, I think they'll pull away. I just think Texas just has too much firepower, too much defense against a a Wyoming team that will probably struggle to score points here. Mm -hmm. And then last but not least, Oklahoma's playing Tulsa and Tulsa. I know they fired everybody because their former coach is now the offensive coordinator at Auburn. What, What can you tell us about this matchup? Yeah, so so Tulsa's uh, new head coach is Kevin Wilson, and he's been mm. around for a while. You know, he was uh, Oklahoma uh, on the Oklahoma staff some years ago. He was the Indiana head coach. Very much a, a work in progress. They got beat pretty bad by Washington uh, last Saturday, and they beat an FCS opponent in, in Week One. So I think just in terms of like threat level, pretty low uh, for Oklahoma. I think the the one thing you want to see if you're Oklahoma is the defense has played well through the first two weeks of the season. Those deep passes that we saw in week one weren't there in in week two. Now, SMU did some things to try and take that away from Dylan Gabriel, but I think you want to see maybe the offense rebound uh, to some extent in that department before you go into um, uh, to Big 12 play because that game against Texas is coming up. Right. Well, Stephen, I I can't thank you enough for talking to me off the ledge during this episode. Do you, you have any closing thoughts on on anything looking ahead to the next week or or recapping the week that just happened around the SEC before you hop off the line? Yeah, I think uh, Tuesday therapy session. Uh, like, <laughs> we, we need a name for this, like every like Tuesday when we get together. Uh, no, I I think 
the the thing that interests me about this week is like if you pull up the schedule and like you look at matchups and you go, well, there's not many great matchups here. Well, that's that's like when the chaos happens. Like, yeah, you know, there's there's chaos, there's upsets. But I think looking down the road, I, I'm interested in and this weekend kind of sets the table for conference play and sets the week ahead in, in week four because that schedule in week four is loaded uh, across the nation. So uh, I I'm. I'm interested to see what happens this week because we're we're stacking data, we're collecting information on all these teams. So uh, there's never a bad Saturday for college football, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, before you go, Stephen, can you remind the audience where can they find all your work? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Twitter at Athlon Stephen. You can check out my YouTube page, All CFB Three Six Five. You can follow me on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and TikTok at uh, Stephen L CFB. Steve is on all of it. So I pre- appreciate you, Steve. <laughs> Just like conference expansion. We're everywhere. Coast to coast. Like the Big 12. <laughs> all right. So just want to say thanks again, Stephen, for joining the show. That's going to do it for this episode. And next, Cousin Shane will be back. We're going to be previewing the big weekend in the SEC. Conference play has begun. Can't wait. Shane's dying to watch his Florida game. I think Shane's even taking the day off here. So can't wait to break ease down with Cousin Shane. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy. This beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.